Hey, Internet, happy Monday. You are listening to Locked on NHL, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where we bring you all the news about your favorite sports teams five days a week. Today's episode of Locked on NHL is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. My name is Sarah Avampato. I am your host. You can also hear me on Locked on Los Angeles Kings, where I celebrate a team that isn't playing right now. But we do have all sorts of great NHL action happening even right now as I am putting this episode together. There is hockey on my television. We are in the full swing of the Stanley Cup qualifying rounds and we've already got some big news to break down. We've got some upsets, we've got some injuries, and we're going to talk about all of it today on this show. First up, the Edmonton Oilers did not look particularly great in their loss to the Chicago Blackhawks. Locked on Oilers host Tom Gazzola is on the show today to help us understand what went wrong and what they need to do better in their next outing. Next up, we've already seen some big injuries to major players, and two of them are on the Winnipeg Jets. Both Mark Scheifele and Patrick Laine are out and may not be back anytime soon. Locked on Jets host Harrison Lee is joining us on the show today to go over the plays that led to injuries to both of those players and figure out what is next for the Winnipeg Jets. And finally, in another surprise upset, the Arizona Coyotes defeated the Nashville Predators. And I've got on loan from Locked on Ducks, I've got Jason Hernandez here who is keeping tabs on the Coyotes to fill us in on some of the major players that led to that surprise victory. So that is all for you today on Locked on NHL. We're going to start things out right now by heading to Edmonton and learning exactly what went wrong for the Edmonton Oilers and how they can change things tonight in game two. So the first couple of games in the qualifying round had a lot of surprises already. You know, it wasn't like things just happened the way that everyone drew them up. And one of the biggest surprises was the Edmonton Oilers losing their first game to the Chicago Blackhawks. And they didn't just lose it by a hair. They did not look so hot, especially coming out of the gate. So we've got the host of Locked on Oilers here today to break down everything that happened in that game. Tom Gazzola, welcome to the show. What happened? What happened in game one? <laughs> oh, Sarah, where do you want to start? I mean, pretty much right out of the gates. They they looked like timid, nervous team that didn't didn't uh, know that they were in the postseason. I'm, I'm, of course, talking about the Oilers. And for a fifth seed that was one point away from being in the round robin, uh, it was it was just a disheartening loss, and it really crushed Oilers fans. You know, you expected them to be the favorite in this, and on paper, they looked great. But then you look at the Blackhawks, and they still have some championship pedigree. They still have a bunch of guys left from that 2015 team, a couple left from the first couple of Stanley Cups, and the Oilers got schooled. They just weren't ready. Uh, right out of the gate, there was two odd man rushes in the first minute. And I just remember watching that and being like, "Uh oh, this this is one of those games. And I can already tell it's going sideways and in a hurry. Then they score the power play goal. And I think that was it was a phony lead. It really was because the rest of the way they looked like they did in that first minute where it was just like they couldn't make a a tape to tape pass to save their lives. They're falling all over each other in their own zone. The defense looked terrible. The forwards weren't helping the defense. They were leaving guys wide open and then. Lo and behold, Dominic Kubalik looks like a superstar and nothing against him because he might win the Calder Trophy. 
But the Blackhawks, led by Kubalik, just had an absolute field day. So one of the big names that came up during the game and after the game was goaltender Mike Smith. And, you know, looking at those goals against him, I don't know that I would say that many of them were particularly on him. But there were a lot of people questioning afterwards whether he should have been pulled earlier, whether he was even the right choice for starter, if Miko Koskinen should have been starting that game. What's your take on the goaltender? situation in Edmonton and is it the right choice to go back to Mike Smith for game number two well in that game Sarah like you could have started Patrick Waugh Dominic Hasek uh, Curtis Joseph Marty Broder and they would have lost that game that's how poorly the Oilers played in front of their goaltenders and Mike Smith did open up the floodgates by coughing up a really bad pizza to Dylan Strom and then had it banked off his back and in the net and and you know, the rest of the way, the Oilers were just hapless, obviously. But even if Miko Koskinen started game one, the Oilers would have just gotten shellacked the same way. And and I think people wanted to point fingers, and, and the easy target was Mike Smith. And we have to keep in mind that Mike Smith has won a playoff series against the Blackhawks. Mike Smith, all time, had the best save percentage of any goalie in the history of the NHL playoffs at 938. I think it dropped down to 924 or something like that after that game five goals on 23 shots and and he still has the number one save percentage of all time in the postseason. So it didn't matter who started in net. Dave Tippett said it on Sunday and, and he's right, but I think people needed to vent and they just pointed at Mike Smith granted that first goal. I'll readily admit it was terrible. So expect to see Miko Koskinen. I don't think we will see Mike Smith tonight, but the other thing too, when you look at this goalie situation is both guys have looked good at times this season. Both guys have faltered. And we knew going into this series that if the Oilers didn't get goaltending, they'd be in trouble. Now, we didn't anticipate the team not showing up in front of the goalies. And and you mix those two things in, and it's just a recipe for disaster. And that's what we witnessed. And now the Oilers have the backs against the wall collectively against the Blackhawks. And if they don't win this game, they're in deep deep trouble. Were there any players that you were surprised by their performances, either good or bad in thinking back to game one? Well, I mean, uh, there's about 16 guys. I could say I was surprised at how poorly they played. The, the one guy that, that did look good was, you know, Leon Dreisaitl. And, and keep in mind, I mean, no one really played that well. But I say Dreisaitl because his line was able to get some sustained pressure in the offensive zone. He had Tyler Ennis and, and Kyler Yamamoto with him. And and that line out of the four, they looked okay. Now, on the flip side, I know I lumped in a ton of guys for playing so poorly, but Edmonton's top shutdown pairing of Oscar Kleffbaum and Adam Larson were atrocious. They were stumbling over each other. They were the ones guilty uh, of not being able to make crisp passes, not being able to break up cycles, just totally out of position for the entirety of, of the night. And they got called out for it, and rightly so, especially – Guys who were playing heavy minutes against other teams' top offensive weapons and have been doing so for a number of years already to come out in game one and have that performance is absolutely unacceptable. So they're veteran guys. You expect them to bounce back. And surprisingly, the Oilers' third pairing of Chris Russell and Matt Benning was actually their best pairing. And, and any night you have that or any game or afternoon like we saw the other day that you have your third pairing as your best pairing, is is never going to lead to a win. All right. And one last thing to wrap things up. Game two is coming at us later tonight. If there is one key to the game for the Oilers to see a different outcome, what would that be? 
Simplify, 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 simplify. The Oilers have been at their best against good teams when they they simplify their game. Don't get fancy. Don't try to break it to the zone every time on your own and, and lug the puck in. Sometimes you do need a chip and chase. Sometimes you do need to wind down and grind down the opposition's defense. I know that Everton has all-world talent up front, but you need to stick with structure and be razor sharp and focused on the game plan and the structure of the game. Because as soon as you get away from that and you start scrambling, you're going to see what we saw the other night in, in what was a flattering 6-4 result. Because that really was worse than a 6-4 result. Uh, the two goals they scored in the third period in garbage time, garbage goals to be exact too, just flattered the Oilers. It, it was worse than a 6-4 final result. So simplify be sharp, be focused, and and know the situation. Know that in the history of game or five game series in the National Hockey League, only one team has battled back from de- being down two games to nothing. So, and that was the Islanders in the '80s. The odds are heavily against you if you don't win Game Two, uh, especially after losing Game One. Thank you for giving us your perspective on everything Edmonton Oilers. For people who want to hear more from you to keep up on everything that is going on with the team, where can they find you and your show? Oh, Locked On Oilers. We're always there Monday to Friday. You know how it is, Sarah. And then you can catch me with Joe DiBiase Fridays here on Locked On NHL. And then if you really, really want a deep dive on the Oilers, I'm on Team 1260, TSN 1260, uh, Edmonton Sports Leader, every Oilers game day, bringing you the pregame and the postgame shows. It's a lot of fun. I'll, I'll admit it. We have tons of fun on the show, but we take it seriously, too. Thanks again to Tom for jumping on the show to talk to us about the Oilers. Coming up next, we've got Harrison Lee and the unfortunate injury situation for the Winnipeg Jets. But first, I want to tell you all about rockauto.com. If you are someone with a car and you are someone who is looking for parts for that car, rockauto.com is definitely where you should be going to do all of your shopping. You can go to their website, get convenient service where all you do is just plug in the information about your car, put in the make, the model, the year, and you can find all of the parts that you could ever need for your car or your truck all on rockauto.com. They are a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years, so they have a track record of success. And prices, it's the best part about rockauto.com, prices are always reliably low. They're the same no matter who you are. If you are a professional or if you are someone who just likes to tinker on your own, you are going to pay the same price. So why bother with big box stores? Why bother with driving around from auto parts store to store or scouring 100 sites on the internet? Just go to rockauto.com. Um, put in the information for your car or your truck and see all the parts available to you. Write Locked On in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So whenever I have guests on this show, uh, lately I've been ending all of my interviews with like, hey, thanks for coming and if your team makes it to the next round, I'm sure we'll have you back on the show here again. And I didn't anticipate with hockey just starting, we're only a couple of days in, that I'd be having a repeat guest quite so quickly. But there have already been uh, a couple of notable injuries in the NHL, and they all came out of the same game. And that is unfortunately the situation that the Winnipeg Jets find themselves in. And so returning to the show, I have got Harrison Lee, host of Locked on Jets, to uh, fill us in on what happened 
with his team and what the big losses look like they're going to be after their very first game of play. So welcome back. I wish it was for fun reasons and not bad ones, but here we are. We we are back together on Locked on NHL. Thanks for having me. It was uh it was a really enjoyable five minutes of enjoying hockey before all of my hope and joy just kind of got sucked out and thrown into the void. That is a, that is a good way to put it, I think. Yeah, uh, if you were, if anyone hasn't heard yet, um, Winnipeg basically went through the absolute ringer, and in the first five minutes, Matthew Tuchuk from the Calgary Flames got a bit tangled up with uh, Mark Shifley as Shifley was trying to dodge a check. And Shifley went awkwardly near the boards. I think his ankle got caught on something. Uh, The Chuck's skate caught him in the back of the ankle. And the rest is history. Shifley was rolling around on the ground. Couldn't put any weight on his uh, left knee. Really great times. And then later in the game to make uh, insult to injury, really, Patrick Line took some sort of slash from Mark Giordano. Although Paul Maurice said that this injury is not related. Uh, Apparently, Line's wrist was messed up enough that they need to send him to see a specialist. So, yeah, everything's great. We're doing really great. Things are going ideally and perfectly smoothly. Yeah. So if you had to, if you had to have drawn it up before the series started, this is pretty much exactly where you expected you'd be, right? With two major players out for injury for an unspecified but probably not good amount of time. It's really funny. One of my friends posted on Twitter. He said, yeah, you're, we're, we're totally going to lose three, nothing. And Shifley's going to get injured. And that was like the day before the game. And then of course it actually happened. And we all kind of looked at him like, could you just not tweet ever again, please? Right. Like you're done. Your, your tweeting privileges are revoked after the game as expected. The Jets camp had some strong words to say about Matt Kachuk. Paul Maurice especially was very upset about it uh, from what I have seen Uh, What is your take on the hit? I know that Kachuk kind of has his reputation as being a guy who isn't exactly the most clean of players, who maybe throws dangerous hits every so often, kind of walks that line. What is your take on how that unfolded? I would say that on the one hand, I don't think the particular outcome was intentional at all. I think that that part was accidental, but I think there is more truth to what Maurice said than what a lot of people have. I think a lot of people immediately said, oh no, it wasn't intentional. There's no way it could be. But for Tuchuk to stick his skate out in the way that he did, which you never do when you're going into the boards in that direction, and the fact that, you know, in the heat of the moment, guys make a lot of really poor life decisions. It just wouldn't shock me if he did stick his leg up. I don't think that he was trying to like cut anyone's, you know, Achilles or anything, but you know, I just one of those situations where I would not be shocked if he was trying to kick him or something. Now, assuming that the the results are not good for either of these guys and Shifley in particular just, you know, watching the clip of him, uh, it does not look like a thing that he is going to be ready to go for game number two. Uh, so presuming that both he and Line a are going to miss some time, what's next for the Jets? Who Who is stepping up to take their place? Is it now just sort of a we're playing these games to get to, to the end of this series? Is there still hope for people to step into their shoes and produce and kind of will the Jets to win some of these games. I hate putting it in these terms because it sounds very defeatist and fatalistic, but Winnipeg was pretty much cooked as soon as Shifley went down. This team is not particularly great, and they don't have any center depth. 
the guys who would take their place are like Cody Eakin, Jansen Harkins, maybe Wheeler at center. You're asking a lot of players who either don't play those positions naturally or I just don't think can really replace the kind of overall offensive impact that a guy like Mark Shifley played. I mean, as soon as he went down, you know, the Jets had the, the run of play before then, and then he went down and Winnipeg kind of fell apart. I mean, the Flames, for their part, really didn't have to do anything because the Jets' special teams imploded. Winnipeg kind of started looking like a beer league team for most of the second period. And it just was a really ugly and disappointing display. And I feel like it sounds like Mark Shifley has to go outside of the bubble anyways to get tested. So regardless of whether or not his injury is long-term, he's not coming back for the series. So all that said, I I think Winnipeg, they're going to do their best. I think that they're going to try and put on a good show, but I think deep down they probably know the series is over. It it was going to be hard either way, but without Shifley and Line A, it just feels impossible now. With such a quick turnaround time between games, of course, this is going to be pretty fresh in the minds of all of the Winnipeg Jets players. And Matt Kachuk is not exactly someone who is going to escape, let's say, the attention of the Jets. Do you think there's going to be retribution for this, regardless of if it was intentional or avoidable or not? Or they're just going to go out and play a game and try to get it over with? I think Winnipeg, they sent out Wheeler for a fight. He did his little thing with the Chuck. But I think Winnipeg is going to start checking harshly. I feel like Calgary had some really nasty hits that I didn't really care for. Um, One of the ones that stuck out to me was, I think it was Bennett kind of charged Morrissey into the boards. And it was just enough where it wasn't going to get a call, but it was pretty obvious what he was trying to do. And there were a lot of those little moments in between where I felt like guys were maybe taking a few liberties here and there. And I just wasn't a fan of that so much. So I could see Winnipeg trying to push back, but they don't, they're not built to be a really grindy physical team like they used to be. If they put, you know, Bork and Shaw back in, some of these like bottom six guys who are frankly at this stage of their career, probably not NHLers, but you can just fire and forget them at opposing players and hope that they do some kind of damage. Uh, maybe, but I, I just think that the Jets want to kind of reset, get back to playing actual hockey and try and get something out of this because right now things are are looking pretty grim. And even some of the players in the conferences today were looking pretty downcast, no matter the words that they were uh, trying to send to the press. Well, that is certainly not the way that anyone wanted this tournament uh, or this uh, qualifying round to, to start, especially for Jets fans. But thanks for jumping on the show today to fill us all in on the status of Mark Shifley and Patrick Line. And we, of course, will hope for the best for them uh, in their recovery from the unspecified, unfit to play uh, injuries that they are now going to be working to get over. For our listeners who want to learn more about the Jets, who want to keep up on the situation, where can they find you and your show? They can find me at a Locked On Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. That is LO underscore Winnipeg Jets, and the link can be found on the bio. Uh, you can also find me at my personal Twitter at HL Living Loco if you want to find really terrible hockey takes and a lot of Winnipeg Jets fan angst, of which there is more than the fair share these days. Thanks again to Harrison for joining me on the show. Make sure you're giving him and all of our guests a follow on social media so you can keep up with all of the news and information about the Stanley Cup qualifying round, about all of the teams that are playing. You can find all of them online. 
Make sure you're following this show on Twitter at LockedOnNHL so you never miss an episode and get links to all of the cool things that our other hosts are doing across the network. So at LockedOnNHL on Twitter. Coming up next, we end our show with a look at the Arizona Coyotes with Jason Hernandez on loan from Locked On Ducks. So we might not have a Locked On Coyotes host quite yet here on the Locked On Network, but given the state of things and given a big surprise performance from them, I figured we'd get the next best thing today, which is our fill-in Coyotes expert. Jason J.D. Hernandez, host of Locked On Ducks, is keeping tabs on the Coyotes as they continue on in in the play-in round or the qualifiers, whatever you want to call it. And the Coyotes were one of the biggest surprise performances defeating the Nashville Predators <laughs> in a series that I feel, feel like a lot of people expected that Nashville could possibly have swept. What happened in that game? What led Arizona to success in their very first game in the uh, play-in series? As I mentioned on my podcast, one of the big surprises was just how effective Darcy Kemper was throughout that entire, well, most of the game. And the reason I do follow Arizona is, one, they have minority ownership, me being a proud Latino. They have Latino ownership. And two, a former Ontario Reign player. If you remember that, Darcy Kemper played out here in the ECHL back in 2012. So I've been following his career pretty closely. And watching him perform that well for most of the game was pretty spectacular because he had a decent at best outing on the exhibition. And Arizona just came out of the gates firing, scoring three goals in a short amount of time. And part of that has to do with their special teams. Special teams was a big factor, especially that third power play goal by Clayton Keller. I thought did a tremendous job. But also their penalty kill. Nashville looked pretty, I mean, they, they looked okay. On their power play, their biggest thing on special teams was penalty kill. And I got to give it to Michael Grabner. Michael Grabner with that shorthanded goal, as soon as he got that puck on the blue line and went off to the races, I said, oh, he's going to score this. <laughs> like, I, I knew that was going to be a goal right away. And sure enough, that ended up being the game winner. So that's my two factors, goaltending and special teams. And Grabner is someone who had been a healthy scratch a lot down the stretch for the Coyotes, but he's also a player who's known for his speed and for being someone who can burn you on those shorthanded plays. So I'm going to take it that it's a safe bet that he is going to be staying in the lineup. He earned his spot with that goal. He absolutely should. And you brought up a good point. His speed is a huge factor. He scored six shorties, which led the NHL last season. And of course, one of those goals was against Nashville also. So it's like they've seen this before. Something else I have to give a lot of credit to. I have to give credit to the coaching staff for resting the players and getting them as prepared as they did to stomp on their necks early on. Ekman Larson looked good early on. Dvorak looked good early on. Taylor Hall, he was going to be a big question mark. He is still a question mark as to whether he's going to return to Arizona or not. He came out and celebrated like he wanted to stay on the Coyotes. He was all over the ice pretty much the entire game, even though he didn't score a goal. He was out there in several other factors, getting assists getting pucks in deep to steal the cliche drawing the line as far as you know when to get that heavy hit when not to when to scrape a little bit pinch a little he did it all i thought i thought taylor hall was a tremendous player of the game without getting a star of the game 
simply because he was kept off the scoring sheet. One of the other big players who showed up on the score sheet was Phil Kessel, who I feel like is always much maligned for not scoring like 100 goals or something. No matter what he does, it seems like it's never enough for people. Uh, Do you think that he had a pretty strong performance? Do you think there's more to see still from Phil in these upcoming games? Absolutely. I feel that a lot of people do write Phil Kessel off for whatever reason. I mean, yes, he is getting older and... Yes, he has shown some signs of slowing down, but he's still a crafty veteran. He's been in the league for 12, 13 years now. He's still got the good hockey sense as far as when to get that perfect pass out, which is exactly what he did twice on Sunday's game. So you're absolutely right that in a way, our team's not paying attention to him at times because there were a few breaks where he was left wide open and no one was covering Phil Kessel. And I'm saying, what in the world is going on? Why aren't you covering him? So I think we're going to see more of him as long as other players keep stepping up as they have as far as Stepan keeps stepping up, which great job to the entire team. Everybody up and down, first to fourth line stepped up. Taylor Hall, they have to watch out for Taylor Hall. He's going to be everywhere again. And I think he created opportunities for Phil Kessel as well. They just work so well together. In fact, that that one-two combo of Kessel and Hall, they got an assist each on that Dvorak goal. Someone else that you didn't mention that I thought did a fantastic job was Brad Richardson. Uh, Richardson did a good job of, you know, getting out in front of pucks, getting out in front of shots, and actually was credited with only one block. It felt like it was more than one block, but he's another player that I would watch out for. All right, and the big question is, is this repeatable? Is this the next time these two teams take the ice together, something that we're going to see from the Coyotes again? Are they going to pull out a win in game two, or is Nashville going to be like, oh no, we underestimated them and play a different game? If Arizona comes out with the same exact energy that they did in game one, then this could be Arizona's to win easily in game two. Although I think you and I both question Nashville's decision to start UC Saros instead of Pecorine. Pecorine had started every important game for Nashville before this. And to have UC Saros in there, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll ask you, did you question that move when you saw it too? Or did you think it was Saros' time as well? You know, a little bit of both. I feel like neither of them have been particularly impressive in the regular season. I feel like both of them were just, they just struggled. And a lot of that was the team in front of them. I feel like this is a year for odd goalie decisions. You know, we have Henrik Lundqvist, the backup for the Rangers, being stepped back into a starting role because Igor Shosturkin isn't able to play. Uh, We have Robin Leonard already confirmed to be starting for the Vegas Golden Knights. There's so much goalie shenanigans going on in the league right now that I almost wasn't surprised to see Saros get the start, but I feel like if he has another performance or if the team has another performance like we saw from Nashville, regardless of if it was or wasn't his fault he could be on a short leash and we could be seeing Pecorine again yeah if the coyotes come out like they do and if nashville's not careful we're gonna see Pecorine back in there sooner than normal and we're gonna see another big performance from kessel taylor hall is probably gonna score at least one or two goals in this series he's not gonna stay off the score sheet for long 
Well, thank you so much for jumping on the show today to be our fill-in expert on the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, It looks like we all may have underestimated them just a little bit based off of their performance right out of the gate in game number one. So thanks for coming on the show. For anyone who wants to uh, follow you on the socials, maybe learn a little bit more about the Coyotes, where can they find you online? Uh, They can find me at Locked on Anaheim Ducks, where I am filling in for the coyotes right now and follow us on twitter at lo underscore ducks or follow me personally at stimpy jd thanks again to tom harrison and jason all for joining me on the show today we have great programming for you all week long here on locked on nhl and of course all of our shows make sure you're subscribing to this show on whatever your favorite podcast app is if you're new here if this is your first time listening welcome and make sure that you you know, go click that big subscribe button on your podcast app listener of choice. We're available everywhere podcasts are found, including Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, anywhere podcasts are, so are we. Leave a rating or a review if you like what you're hearing. And of course, tell all of your friends all about this show. Make sure all of your hockey fan friends are listening and keeping up to date with the latest news in the NHL here on Locked on NHL. Until next time, this has been Locked on NHL, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.